Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ, Thief River Falls, Minnesota. And of course, you can hear us online, live and online too, uh, at uh, RadioNorthland.org. That's also the website where you can listen to past episodes of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Yes, we got about seven, eight years of, of, of content. Very good stuff indeed. And you can also listen to us live via the TuneIn app. So you got all kinds of bases covered here. I'm Glenn Broggett along with my co-host down there deep in the heart of Texas. He uh, He's in the mobile studio. I think this time of year he may get a little bit of relief from the heat. That studio, man, you got to get like a crowdfunding source to get the air conditioning and all of that. I mean, a good studio has got to have some air conditioning. But he does it because he loves it. Mike McCurdy, welcome to Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Oh, man, I'm glad to be back again. And you're right, yeah, the temperatures are dropping. We're, we're done with the triple digits for the year in the state of Texas. Now we're down in the 80s, and in Texas, man, we love the 80s. So yeah. we're, do, we're doing good. Might hear a little background noise or whatever. Now the weather's a little bit better. They're coming out kind of doing a little, you know, little landscaping around, so we might hear a little sound in the background. But yeah, other I, than that, we're, we're good to go. I was wondering about that natural sound there. I thought it, you were playing like uh, an alternate remix of the Das Vonderkin uh, Alex Wright theme song from WCW. What's going on with that, man? No, no, no. That, that's some landscaping. You know, the mobile studio is located outdoors. So, well, you know, they got the whole we, TikTok. We do what we can. You got the whole TikTok thing going on. I think now I should challenge you to do the Das Vonderkin dance uh, to that to the music. I think that's a good enough challenge, and I think our guests would probably agree on it too. Once we uh, get them into the conversation. There's a challenge to do the Das Wunderkind dance on TikTok. Yep, yep, and you got to get into it. I'm, I'm talking about it. You got to go all out if you're going to Das Wunderkind. You got to do it right, man. And I don't, I don't think I Das Wunderkind. Who didn't like Alex Wright back in the day? I, I, I he, he was sensational. But you don't have to do the backflip. But my favorite part was, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part was. Kind of all a Rick Rude, like in the, when he he would get have a sore back and he tried to do the grind. When Das Vonderkin would try to do the dance after he was you know beat up pretty good in a match, he, when he do that he he had to hold up hold the side, his side like he, he could couldn't dance. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would soldier hold, hold on. The ribs and, oh, I believe that that's passion. You can't teach that at Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Mike, you, you, your your booking uh, prowess is—I uh, guess you're making up for lost time because last week we had the Charlie uh, Norris. Or two weeks ago, we had the Charlie Norris interview. Uh, what a what an interesting story! Uh, and he has—he's one of those guys that hasn't been hitting the, the circuit, so you don't haven't heard a lot about him. What you know about him was probably from his time in WCW, but he had a great career, had a lot of stories, and I'm going to be working and try to getting him back on the program and maybe uh, doing some also special one-offs with him with another guest that he wrestled with in those times up in northwestern Minnesota. So yeah, the Charlie Norris interview, I do recommend to the listeners to check that one out. I did listen to it. I was on assignment at the time. I think I was actually booking our guest for this week. Um, I enjoyed the Charlie Norris interview. And just right before that, we had Keith Elliott Greenberg. And if you've ever noticed on Amazon, his book, Too Sweet, Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution, number one. You know Number what? one. Well, now, you know, it hit number one. We got to get him back to have a little conversation, kind of dig a little bit deeper into the book, too, because there was a lot of stuff we just kind of scratched the surface on. But anyway, Mike, that is for another time, man. We got to talk about what we have at hand. And you booked a dandy of a guest, a main event, if you will. 
I might want to go back and go old school on you. But yes, uh, I want you to give the intro. I want to get into it. I want to learn a little bit more about this gentleman from what I've seen online, some of the great interviews that he's done, including uh, one that recently uh, with Jake the Snake Roberts that was just absolutely fantastic. I want you to give the intro, and then we can get to talking about what's up with him, get to know him a little bit, and also just talk about the state of wrestling and different topics that are, are making news these days. Mike, I give it to you, my friend, down there in Texas. All right, man. This is a guest I recently discovered a few months back. He did an interview with David Benoit that made the social media routes and made the wrestling news sites. That's how I first learned this man's name. And in just the few months since I've discovered his show, I think I have listened to everything he's done prior to starting and all the way up to now. I think I'm almost caught up. There might be a couple interviews that I've missed, but amazing interviewer. He was just recently here in Texas for an independent wrestling expo that we had out here little two-day event. I'm sure we can talk a little bit about that. But along with, you know, like I said, David Benoit, he's had interviews with Jake the Snake Roberts, The Rock. Uh, Newer than one I just saw, John Morrison is up. The man has talked to many great names. He's also been a part of All Elite Wrestling. Dude, Cosmopolitan Magazine named him Bachelor of the Year. Cleveland, one of Cleveland's top bachelors. I mean, you Good know, Lord the guy's man. got a resume. This is a resume, man. We, we, got, a, we got us a celebrity right here. So I'm proud to introduce tonight's guest on Wrestling Memories In and Now, none other than Chris Van Vliet. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Glenn, Mike. Thanks for having me on. What an intro. Man, you guys should follow me around and just read this off as I, as I walk into different places. Thank you. We could be part of your PR <laughs> team, man. We could, we, we could be, uh, do that you know, in our spare time when we're not doing Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Of course, we could sing your praises, man. But, you know, it's, it's much deserved, though. That's uh, why, you know, and we're so glad that you're on the program, too, man. This is uh, going to be a good time just to, you know, because I've just kind of discovered you as well. I, I heard, you know, I've, I've seen your name in articles, and I've heard about you uh, uh on various wrestling podcasts like you know i've heard i think i may have heard your name dropped on conan's keeping it 100 podcast and a few others there's just so many in that that podcast universe where lots of people are involved with other people's products but you're you're involved your, your name's been mentioned your interviews are really on point it, it's just kind of cool to, to, to have you on so yeah if we're going to sing the praises mike and i i think we're doing it to the right source my friend so yeah yeah definitely uh, you've been entertaining us since we've just both of us have discovered you here in in uh, not in the not too distant past well, I certainly appreciate it, guys, and uh, you're doing great work as well. So let me sing some praises for you as well. <laughs> Mike, how about that, man? I love it, man. Uh, but, you know, let me start with this interview because, like I said, I just recently, you know, discovered you probably within the last, like, six months. Whenever the David Benoit interview first hit, that's how I discovered you. But let's get a little bit of your background, Chris. Um, what, where did your interest in wrestling begin you know, what, what, what kind of attracted you as a fan? So my background, like in terms of like making these videos is I'm a TV host and I've been, uh, you know, fortunate to be on TV since I graduated from college. But like you guys, like most people that are listening to this, I, you know, I've loved wrestling my entire life. Like my first introduction to it was in the eighties. Uh, it would be on at my grandparents' house. My grandpa wasn't like a huge wrestling fan, but it would, it would be on. And then late nineties, I got, sucked into the attitude era and I was all in and when I love something I dive all the way in so I watched Raw and a little bit of Nitro on Mondays and I, I would watch every, I watched everything ECW was watching the weekend shows that was it everything and I became a backyard wrestler I wanted to train to become a pro wrestler like I I went as far into this with my fandom as I could possibly go 
Now, you know, you said you wanted to train to be a wrestler. Did you actually do any training or just that was an idea you had in your head? Well, I did, yeah. So uh, in, in college, I took a summer between my junior and senior year, and I went to wrestling school. I went to wrestling school in Toronto. That's my hometown. And I trained, and it's, it's not easy. So I trained the entire summer, and not only is it, you know, hard work in the ring, it's time-consuming. It was four days a week. It was a, an hour drive each way. And I was, you know, I was figuring it out. I was learning how to do it. And then it came time to go back to school in the fall, and I kind of had to make a tough decision. Was I going to focus on wrestling school, or was I going to focus on school school? Because I firmly believe that you can't put – all of yourself into both of those things. So I made the decision to you know, continue with school to get my uh, Bachelor of Arts degree. And I just figured wrestling would always be there. And, and I'm really fortunate that I still get to like be a fan of wrestling. You could dip my toe into the wrestling world by doing these interviews and also by being a ring announcer for you know, a bunch of different independent companies. And I still get to be a broadcaster. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Well, you, know, you, you say you decided to continue on school and get your Bachelor of Arts degree, and obviously a great decision because you're not just a wrestling interviewer. That's where I know you from. But as I kind of got back into it, you've, got, you've been in entertainment reporting uh, with the shows in Florida. You've got a lot of, you know, in the entertainment world, you're actually an Emmy Award winner. Let's, let's talk a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so it, it's crazy to think about this, but I've probably interviewed, like, way more celebrities than I ever have wrestlers, but you know, I'm, I'm a big wrestling fan. And that's been the main thing I've been doing on my podcast and my YouTube channel. But man, I'm so grateful to say that I've been able to travel the world. I've interviewed and you name it. I've been able to, I've interviewed, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Tom Cruise and Meryl Streep and Jennifer Aniston, Denzel Washington, Oprah, you know, the list is on and on and on and on. And I've been able to host some really cool entertainment TV shows, but you know, wrestling's where, my heart's always been, I've always been a huge wrestling fan and I, I kind of was able to play one off of the other. As an entertainment reporter, you get to talk to people, you know, all across the board from musicians to actors to comedians, you know, all kinds of different people. And at one time I just kind of asked my boss, I said, do you think like we could talk to a wrestler? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? And that's how it all began. Like selfishly, I just kind of wanted to hang out with wrestlers just want to like, be able to have wrestlers on the TV show that I was on to say, like, man, I got to hang out with Nick Foley or whoever, whoever it was that I was interviewing. And, yeah, that's kind of how this whole thing began for me. So who was the first wrestler you got a chance to interview? So the very first wrestling interview I did was Bobby Lashley in 2007. He was the ECW champion at the time. And I remember being, like, so insanely nervous because yeah, we had interviewed a lot of musicians, a lot of actors at that point, but this is my first time of like, you know, blending like my own passion from the outside world into like this passion I had for my job. So I prepared for weeks and weeks and weeks and Bobby finally came to our TV station. And let me tell you, he is a mountain of a man. He is like, I put my arm around him for a photo and it was like putting my arm around a boulder. Like he's just such a giant, like beast of a man. Although he couldn't be nicer. So that was it. Uh, 2007, 13 years ago, I recently posted a throwback of that interview on my YouTube channel. To kind of, like, it's not a good interview at all. Like, I don't encourage you to watch this. But uh, it's basically to show, like, 
we all start somewhere and like the more reps you put into whatever it is that you're passionate about, you will in fact, you know, continue to get better every single time. I, I can agree with that. I've been involved in this business now for, uh, at this point in time, it's been 25 years and I have the very first newsletter I ever wrote for. It was a uh, inside ringside newsletter. It was one of the, back when they would mail them out, you know, you go out through the mail and I have the first copy I ever wrote for and I have it framed. I say I have it framed because I want to, you know, have it pristine. I want to be able to preserve it for posterity, give it to my kids. But in honesty, I don't want people to read the article that I wrote because it's not very good. <laughs> I've always heard it said that if you look back on your old stuff and you're not disgusted, you're not like cringing at how bad it was, then you're probably moving in the wrong direction. <laughs> I could agree and attest to that, man. I have some air check tapes uh, ooh, from, from, from broadcasting school. Uh, from some, uh, We used to do record, uh, we had a college station. Actually, the station we're on right now, uh, that's where I got my start uh, doing broadcasting and went through the school. And I've listened to some of those tapes recently, and I'm like, oh, the cringing, man. I, I It's like I'm clawing furniture. It's so bad. <laughs> but... You know, at the time, you probably thought it was great. And oh, I was, I, I was, I was awesome, man! It was like, yeah, this is great. I'm on local radio. Look at me go, man! And was, oh, yeah, oh yeah, I listen, I listen to it. Like, listen to me. And then you get, there's times when you know we have to do like the news and all of that, and oh, me reading some of the, you know, there's always like this is good. As much as you think you're on top of the sports world, there's always going to be a tennis player or a golfer or even a basketball player that's going to get you tongue tied, and you know. Thanks to these air check tapes, uh, there's a few of those names I still remember, and they're burned in my brain. Like, never again am I going to say it like that. Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that, that's the thing about making mistakes is they're they're there to teach us, so that when you come across that name again, you go, "Oh, I know how to say this one now. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm not going to mess this one up." You know, when you first, you know, you're talking about your celebrity interviews and stuff, uh, you know, you're going through the, you know, getting kind of, you know, finding your groove and stuff. Well, there's some that were just, you know kind of awkward but they, they were still good and passable you talked about bobby lashley interview but could you remember just uh, some celebrity interviews like uh, when you were just starting out you were getting them i mean there's also that feeling if you get a little bit of an excitement talking to a celebrity but you know but before that you know you got you found your comfort and your groove on that where was there any like celebrities that were you know where it just didn't work out but you tried to make the most of it and you, you got something out of it but it wasn't what you thought it was going to be initially well, the great thing about television is the magic of editing, right? Oh, sure, and sure. You go in for a five or 10 or 15 minute interview and you know that you're aiming to just get like one or two good sound bites. Not even great, just good enough sound bites to use on TV. So, yeah, I mean, for sure, in my early interviews, there were some moments where like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel to like make one or two of those sound bites kind of work for the show. But Actually, you know, thinking, speaking of the Bobby Lashley interview, I had a moment there where, like, we started the interview, and I was just like, hey, man, it's, it's good to meet you. He's like, yeah, good to meet you. And I'm like, you're, you're just a, you're a mountain of a man. And he just kind of, like, you know, stares at me like, okay, like, what's the question? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll move on. So I, that obviously wasn't used. But I had a moment with Chris Vault who people will know as the bad guy in Inglorious Bastards. Brilliant actor. Who is also the, right, brilliant actor. The villain in uh, one of the latest Bond films. Brilliant actor. So I go in to do this interview with him. And this was for uh, Skyfall, for the Bond film. And I go in, I walk into the room, and he's just, a, like, he's just peculiar. 
And he's standing there and he goes, oh, you know, take a seat after you. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you. I'm just not, I'm not sure which seat, like, you know, you're, you have a seat and I have a seat. I'm just not sure which one's mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this seat's yours. And I asked him a question. I said, you know, your character probably doesn't think he's a bad guy. Probably doesn't think he's a villain. How would you describe your character? And he looks at me and he goes, it's not my job to describe my character. It's your job. I'm not going to do your job for you. It's not, it's not my job to do. And I'm like, wow, wow. And I get it. Like what he was saying made perfect sense that caught me off guard so much. And I kind of thought in that moment, maybe I'm not talking to Christoph Waltz here. Like maybe he's still kind of like in the mode of that character. That's kind of what it felt like. It felt like I was talking to like a, a true Bond villain in that moment. You were shooting a method scene with him or something. Yeah. And that's and because I interviewed him a few years later for the movie Elite Battle Angel. And he couldn't have been nicer, couldn't have been kinder, which was a reflection of how nice and kind and kind of fatherly his character was in the film. So it was like a real lesson learned there of like, maybe with someone like him who dives so deep into the character, maybe some of that like hangs around a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, he's just got that look where he could play anything from the calmly wonderful father to the serial killer just with his. He didn't have to alter much of his style because he just has that. It just, but he draws you in. And that's like a sign of a great actor. And he's one of the great actors of. He's like a, more than cutting that old classic style with almost combining a little bit of method from from eras gone by. He's, he's kind of one of those classic. He, he could have been in the star system in the 60s and even the 50s. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you know, this, this is exactly why he's won two Oscars. Um, it was just, it was a, a really interesting exchange. So it was nothing against him. It was just a really weird exchange that I certainly was not prepared for and made for like a really memorable moment. <laughs> See, this is what happens when we just uh, have, you know, this is the spirit of the, of the wrestling memories then and now show. We, we talk a little bit about wrestling and then we get into a Christoph Waltz story. It, it just, uh, it just rolls <laughs> like that, man. <laughs> But this is great. You never know. Yes, yes. But this is why we have you on, my friend, because you're you're, you're very versatile. You've you've had lots of experiences in uh, you know in doing your YouTube stuff, uh, doing the easy interviews, also working with uh, television and and radio as well. I mean, this is kind of uh, we want to get the full gamut. I mean, we we could talk. We're we're gonna, we'll check, we're gonna back, back uh, turn back to talk and wrestling, of course, with Mike. But this is kind of fun just to take those little sidebars and kind of get into some of the stuff to kind of get the full realization of of, of who you are and, and kind of gives our listener a better realization of who you are as our guest today. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I think there are a lot of people who have seen, you know, some of my YouTube interviews or maybe they've listened to my podcast and they're surprised to know that, you know, for the bulk of my career, I've actually spent it on red carpets or interviewing celebrities or doing other like entertainment segments. And I love both. I love being able to do both. And that's the cool thing about this time that we're living in right now, where we really have the ability to do anything we want. Exactly, exactly. Mike, I'm going to throw you back in. I'm sorry to jump in in on the conversation. Mike, I'm going to put you back in. You got some more questions. I know you're loaded up and ready to go with our guest today on Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Oh, no problem, man. Feel free to jump in whenever you want. Um, Chris, I'd like to talk about some of the interviews you've done because if you listen to uh, the intro to your podcast, and like I said, I listen to it every week now uh, at work. It's kind of background sound while I do my, while I do my job and all that, but you know, you got sound bites from, you know, Hulk Hogan on there. Uh, you got The Rock, who it sounds like he's giving you a little bit of a jab. Uh, Justin Roberts, 
pronouncing your name, probably one of the best ways you could ever hear. Um, who are some of the interviews you've had a chance to do that, you know, you've really enjoyed and who are some of the harder ones, the ones that you almost had to reach out and like, you know, pull an answer out of them. Well, uh, the rock is definitely at the top of that list. Like, the rock meant so much to me growing up as a fan in the attitude era. Like, I was walking down the halls of my high school, raising the people's eyebrow and asking people questions just so I could respond. It doesn't matter what you think. So to be able to interview The Rock meant so, so much to me. And he's everything that you want him to be. Like he's kind and he's funny and he's charismatic and he's self-aware enough to know that the moment is important for you as well. Also, you know, you, you listed off Hogan there, Hulk Hogan, you know, being a lifelong wrestling fan, Hogan, you know, at the top of that pile, like being able to talk to Hogan. I had an interview where I talked to Hogan and Flair at the same time. Like that was just mind blowing to me. Um, but I think, you know, I don't know if I have any like really tough interviews. I think the really cool thing about wrestling is you get into wrestling because you have a big persona. You get into wrestling because you have lots of charisma for the most part. So I think that, you know, if you give someone the opportunity to start telling some stories, Everybody in the world of wrestling, you know, has stories and, you know, everybody is not just a great storyteller in the ring, but, you know, a lot of people are great storytellers when it comes to just talking about the things that have happened on the road. So I haven't had any like really like terrible ones, but there's some that like, there's some that are definitely better than others. There's some where like, I wish we had more time and, you know, that person had to go and do whatever it was, but yeah, I'd say that it's uh I'd say when you're talking to someone and, and talking to them about the thing that they're very passionate about, the conversation for the most part, not unlike this one, it just kind of flows. I wish I could say I, I've had, you know, positive experiences all the time, but I've actually done a couple interviews and I don't want to mention names, but you know, you'll talk to someone who's been wrestling, you know, multiple time tag team champions and you're talking about, Oh, you, their feud with this person, this person, Oh, this match and this moment. And you get, yeah, I remember that. That was good. That was fun. That's all I get. <laughs> yeah. Those are the yeah. worst. I remember Oprah said something that really stuck to me, uh, stuck with me, because I think Oprah is one of you know, the greatest interview, interviewers of our time. And she said before the interview would start, she would ask the person, what is your intention for this interview? Like, what, 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 do, you want, what do you want to get out of this? And I thought, what a, what a really interesting way to approach it. And I, you know, didn't, I don't specifically use those words, but if I'm talking to someone and they really want to promote a movie or a book or a pay-per-view, whatever it happens to be, I'll ask them, like, what's the thing we absolutely need to talk about? Or what are some things you want to talk about? So then if the interview ends, they don't feel slighted. And that's actually something I've really, like, carried with me, um, you know, from the very wise words of Oprah Winfrey. That's not bad advice, actually. I tend to check with guests and see if there's anything they'd like to discuss. And most of the time, everybody's like, oh, no, man, it's all good. On occasion, you know, we have a few, like, you know, Madman Pondo, we had him on as a guest. He had a couple requests of subjects that we don't discuss. And, well, you know, we followed along with that, and it turned out to be a great interview. But you got to play it, you know, you got to kind of play it by ear, and sometimes you get a great interview, and then other times you get the, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I remember that. And <laughs> this goes on for an hour. Yeah, it, yep. it's horrible. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got to go look up this interview to figure out who it was now. Uh, I'll send you a message and let you know who it was. So if you ever get a chance to interview him, you'll know maybe to pass. A monosyllabic masterpiece. 
Oh, oh, it was bad. Um, anyways, I discovered your show, like I said, um, through social media and the wrestling sites when you did an interview with David Benoit. And right. most recently with Dark Side of the Ring, you know, he's come out now and done more interviews. But how did you get that interview? And what was it like to be able to sit down and talk with him? Because he was very open and very honest during that interview. And that was, like I said, that yeah. was the first time I'd ever heard any of, you know, your stuff. And I thought it was a great interview. Yeah, so we were following each other on Instagram for months. And one day I just got a random DM from him and he said, hey man, if you uh, ever want to do an interview with me, let me know. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, I'd love to do an interview with you. And I very much enjoy doing interviews in person, you know, in a pre-COVID world. When you can shake someone's hand, you can look them in the eye, you can feel their energy and have a true, you know, conversation with them. So I said, yeah, man, let's, let's make this thing happen. Uh, I'll fly to wherever. I'll fly to Canada where, where you are, or you can fly to me, whatever. And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to be taking a trip to Las Vegas soon. And I said, great, I'll meet you in Vegas. So what you don't see on camera, and I really enjoyed the conversation with Dave, and I feel like he got a lot off his chest and talked about a lot of things that, like you mentioned, weren't really public. The only other interview that I think that he did was on Fred Rosser's podcast, a.k.a. Darren Young. And they didn't really talk about, you know, what happened with his father. So I got to Vegas, and we had planned the interview uh, that next morning at uh, 10 a.m. And I landed in Vegas the night before at, like, 6. And I landed, and I thought, well, I don't really have any plans. So I texted him and said, hey, do you, like, you want to, like, grab dinner? And he's like, sure. So me and him and his friend went and grabbed dinner. We grabbed a drink, and we just kind of hung out. And I think us breaking the ice and just being able to hang out, like learn about each other, I think that really helped the interview because halfway through the night, uh, you know, he turns to me and goes, hey, man, just, just to let you know, we can talk about anything tomorrow. And I'm like, really? Anything? He's like, yeah, man, like I trust you and we can talk about anything. Like, wow. And the fact that we were able to have that conversation and able to hang out instead of just, you know, 10 o'clock that morning, knock, knock, knock on the door. Hey, man, you ready to do this interview? Okay, let's do it. And just kind of, you know, start firing questions at him. Uh, I think that that really helped the situation. And, you know, I, I'm happy to see the place that David's in now. I mean, he talked about it in our interview, but he's looking to get in the ring and train and follow in his father's footsteps. And I'm so excited to see what ends up happening with him. Now, just, you know, kind of get your opinion on this. How do you think, you know, he's going to fare? Because, you know, you've had a chance to talk with him now and, you know, in a little bit more than we did. But how do you think he'll do when he decides to finally go into the ring, knowing, you know, people are still going to look at him with the background of, you know, his father and all those events that happened? Because some people are not, I don't think, going to give him a fair shake, unfortunately. Well, he's got big shoes to fill in more ways than one. Like, Chris Benoit was one of the greatest wrestlers to ever step foot in the ring, you know. Regardless of what happened in the last, last weekend of his life, he's one of the greatest wrestlers ever. So on that side of things, David Benoit has the shoes to fill of one of the greatest wrestlers ever. I don't think that he could ever fill those shoes. On the other hand, though, you know, there are a lot of people that you know, are upset with what happened, and rightfully so. Look, I think that uh, the sins of the father are not the sins of the son. And I think that it's important to realize what happened with Chris happened with Chris. That, that shouldn't be put on David. So I, I'm really excited to see what, to, what David does, and I hope that people give him a fair shot, regardless of what his last name is. 
Now, was the David Benoit interview, because like I said, that's where I first, you know, heard your name and found out about your show. Was that one of those interviews that kind of maybe got you more noticed in like the wrestling fans as far as your podcast goes on? Because as I said, I hadn't heard of it until it was all over the internet that you were doing this interview with him. Yeah, so that was a big one for sure. That was a big one this year. Uh, another big one this year, and you might have seen this, is when I took a trip to Sean Spears and Tyler Breeze's wrestling school. And uh, they gave me 20 chops. So that's another video that definitely put me on the radar for a lot of people. Uh, and then I have seen that. Last year. Yeah. <laughs> yes, don't worry. My chest has finally healed up after taking 20 chops. Um, last year, I did an interview with Chris Jericho three days after he signed with AEW. And we did it in the backseat of his car, kind of like impromptu. It just kind of happened. That was another really big interview that I think people – you know, maybe weren't familiar with me or weren't familiar with my work. And they went, oh, well, I want to hear what Jericho has to say about AEW. And then, boom, there we are sitting in his car. See, that's the other kind of fun thing about your show. Um, obviously, you know, I listen to the audio version, but, you know, it's also available on YouTube. But it's kind of, you do have impromptu interviews. Like, you interviewed Mark Henry. He was at the park. I think his son or whatever was having, like, practice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I was, like Mark Henry's like, yeah, I've got uh, like 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, I'll hit record right now. Let's do this thing. I, but I think that that's what real life is. You know, real life isn't like, isn't always like preparing for something. Real life is sometimes just like you bump into someone and you start having a conversation. And in the pre-COVID world, I was all about like going to an independent wrestling show or going to a convention, introducing myself to someone and being like, hey, do you have some time later? Like, could we set up a camera and do this interview? And I think, you know, for the most part, people will say yes, and then you kind of get what you get. And it's an off-the-cuff, flowing conversation, which I, you know, I just I really love doing that. Now, you've been in the entertainment business for, what, 13, however many years. But your podcast, The Chris Van Vliet Show, which people can find on YouTube and Spotify, wherever you find your, uh, you know, your podcast on you just celebrated uh, your one-year anniversary back in June. So the podcast hasn't been going that long. What led up to and made you decide you were finally going to put together, you know, the podcast and, and go in that route? Because most of that is wrestling-oriented. Yeah, so, I mean, my YouTube videos were living on YouTube exclusively. And I just kind of started thinking, like, well, if I put my YouTube videos on my podcast, well, then that means less people are going to look at them on YouTube. I don't know if that's what I want. Then I started looking at my own habits. And, you know, I was commuting a lot uh, to work. My drive to work was 40 minutes to the TV station. I was driving to do a lot of these interviews, sometimes three, four, five hours. And I started looking at my own habits. My own habits were I listened to a lot of podcasts. And I thought, well, if I listen to podcasts, there must be other people that listen to podcasts. So what's the harm in, you know, turning my interviews into an audio version and making them available for people who maybe can't keep a YouTube video open for 30, 40, 50 minutes. So that was really it. It just, it just came from a place of necessity. I thought like, why not, why not put this out there and have people be able to listen to this in a different way. So now, you know, you've, you've been talking about this a couple of times. You've mentioned the pre COVID and now COVID. how has this whole COVID-19, you know, situation kind of affected it, changed and what have you done to adapt because I know recently you were out here for the, the, in Texas for the Wrestling Expo, and that's where you interviewed Jake, and you got some other interviews coming up. But you haven't been able to do those one-on-one face-to-face because of COVID. How have you adapted uh, in these current times? 
Well, we've all adapted, right? And I think that the really interesting a little bit, yeah. COVID is, <laughs> COVID is uh, we're all in this together, like no matter what city or country that you live in. So at first, none of us knew in March how long this thing was going to last. So I just started doing, you know, I did some live interviews on my YouTube channel via like Skype or Zoom. And I just thought, oh, I'll do this for like a week or two. And then, you know, I had, I had a plane ticket booked for Tampa for WrestleMania, like, I was fully planning to move forward and keep doing these interviews in person, but yeah, I had to adapt. I bought a, a much better microphone, a much better webcam, and just realized that like this is the world we're living in now, and there's a, there's a certain amount of convenience to it. Sending someone sending someone a Zoom link and just saying, "Yeah, I'll meet you at three o'clock. Click on this link, and you know we'll hit record." But there's you know as great as Zoom is, as great as Skype is, there's just something that's a little clunky about it. You know, even if there's a half-second delay, that's not how a real conversation works. So while I'm happy that this is an option right now, I, I desperately look forward to when we can get back into the norms of our real life, um, whether that's the norms of our day-to-day job or, you know, being able to go to a concert, football game, a wrestling match, whatever it happens to be. I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn now for, I'm sure he's got a couple questions for you. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff of the current product. Uh, and you've been involved, uh, you know, not only with your interviews and stuff, but you've also uh, have taken part with uh, and worked with AEW. Now, why this AEW story, it's coming up here uh, wait, come not in, in a few weeks uh, of this recording. AEW's uh, television deal, the Dynamite show, turns one year. And that is just an amazing thing. But can you... May, it's just the impact of, uh, of AEW on, on the business. I mean, in pro wrestling. There, I mean, before COVID and even during COVID, they've managed to keep going. But it really started to sprout up a lot more interest. I mean, I started, you know, like the NWA with Billy Corgan came about. Uh, you know, the Ring of Honor was getting some uh, notice. Yeah, a lot of things were starting to get get really uh, going, and it wasn't all just WWE stuff. What do you think the AE, What do you think AEW's impact uh, has been, in your own words and opinion, on the pro wrestling uh, landscape since they they've emerged here uh, with the with the show uh, with the Dynamite show last year and, and the pay per views before they became AEW with the Bucks, Cody, and the rest of the elite. Well, last year completely changed the wrestling game. Like 2019 is going to be the year that we look back on in 10 and 20 and 50 years as when things really started to shift in the wrestling business. Because up until that point, you're only, I guess Impact had been on TV, Impact Wrestling had been on TV, but your only real option on a cable channel that, you know, people got in their houses was WWE. And AEW coming along gave us an option. And I, it really changed the game. It, it not only gave fans an option, but it also gave wrestlers an option. I mean, we started to see guys like early on, Chris Jericho came over, then John Moxley came over, and, you know, a lot of guys who maybe weren't given a fair chance in WWE have now had the opportunity to really shine in AEW. And just how big I think that- it's exciting. 
yeah, and just how big the Jericho thing was. I mean, having him sign on, just how how much uh, how how much that really lifted them in profile. I mean, of course, they had uh, you know the Bucks and Cody and the guys and Kenny. You know, with you know fans of the you know who, whose fans are very smart and you know indie minded, uh, Japan minded. But getting a guy like Jericho who has been on WWE television for twenty some years at that point, uh, getting him on and you know and then eventually adding Mox and a few other other guys that that have been in the Fed in the past. But getting Jericho and and just how Jericho, just how impressed I've always been impressed with Chris Jericho because he he's been able to adapt and able to uh, alter his character and just keep in the game and, and still be at a at, at, at top top level uh, at, at you know with his characters and the way he shape shifts that it just I mean being an AEW it just it almost seems like there's almost a resurgence of him and, and the way he's in the ring these days and just his character the Le Champion or the uh, the Demo God I mean it just with having Chris there I think definitely uh, w- was the ultimate in really getting it up and over and international television oh Chris Jericho is the master of reinvention and he said to me in one of our interviews that his real inspiration is David Bowie. And when you think about it, I mean, David Bowie was a completely different person on every single album. And that's who Chris Jericho is. Every three, four, five years, we get a different version of Chris Jericho. And they're all like a hit. Every single version of Chris Jericho has been amazing. And another thing, you know, Chris Jericho coming in was big. But I think another really big thing for AEW was having JR come in. And I think having that voice for a lot of people who are about my age, I think that was the voice of our youth. So to be able to have that very familiar, nostalgic voice of our youth be the soundtrack of what AEW has now, I think that that was a really big move as well. Mm-hmm. And I like the way, you know, not only with JR and and, 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 and me from my fan perspective, having Tony Schiavone uh, return. I mean, he was working with MLW with Court Bauer, uh, you know, for, for some shows uh, on his product. But when having Tony get added to it and, and how Tony, you know, started to kind of get, it was a while since he was been on a, on a major network to have him return to TNT and to the Turner, you know, what was the Turner channels of old uh, and really start to work. He just been i i've really enjoyed his work i mean i guess i've I'm had a bias because i've been a fan of his you know since the mid 80s but i think it's kind of fun and tony it's kind of it's a different tony you know it's not this he's not as buttoned down he gets to you know thanks to his podcast he really kind of gets to you know show a little a little bit more snark every once in a while but in the way him and ross can get to get going and you know especially uh, when they're working with Excalibur, a younger guy, of course, with a lot of experience, it's kind of fun to, to watch those old guys. You know, you know, get this new life. It's kind of fun to have Tony and and, and Jr. and you know, an Excalibur and even Taz into the mix. It's guys that you thought uh, were probably done and put to the wayside by by the by WWE is you know by their standards. Getting this new life and be able to be on a program who just last week, as of this recording, has moved up into the million uh, one million viewer area. Uh, who would have thought that, uh, you know, just the whole at the beginning of the whole genesis of this idea when when it was, uh, you know, when the big pay-per-view in Chicago and the Chicagoland area, uh, how that developed and what became AEW. Who would have thought, you know, now, I mean, especially in today's television market where it's not like the uh, it's not like the late 90s. It's not like, you know, you're not going to get all those eyes. It's just a different animal. The way we watch our television, the way we've streamed, the way we view, it's just a whole different thing. But to get a one million is in their first year from a company that started from scratch, 
I think that is just great stuff. And, and you now there's talk of a second show. I mean, things are really getting interesting. And they have such great characters, though, too. They have shows that make you excited like you, you were when you were a kid. Like when you'd watch the two-hour Nitros you know, or the two-hour Raw. And even down back to the 605 shows uh, back in the Turner days. Uh, I, I mean, it's just having that excitement. That, that to me, is what really kind of keeps me interested in wrestling. Just getting a spark. I mean, WWE is the WWE, but these guys came in and threw something a little bit different and a melding of styles too, which is fun because you get the you kind of gets that feel. It's not to a T like Nitro, but you like it reminds me sometimes of Nitro, just the way you would see a great cruiserweight match or you would see a a big heavyweight match or a tag match. It's just the way they expand their variety, and they've got such a great roster at this time that they're able to do that. Well, I think the phrase that comes to mind for me is rising tides lift all ships. And I think that AEW coming in has forced everybody else, not just WWE, but everybody else, Impact Wrestling, NWA, MLW, New Japan, everybody to raise the bar themselves. And I think the cool thing here is AEW will make a star out of someone who maybe didn't have a chance in WWE, or they'll have a finish to a match that if that match had happened elsewhere, you might have gone, oh, I know exactly who's going to win. Like, when that match starts, I know exactly who's going to win this match. And I just appreciate that they're, they're listening to the fans. Whereas I think in WWE, unfortunately, they just kind of do things the way that they want to do things. And AEW certainly has that more fan-centric, that more indie style of booking and that indie style of wrestling. And... I think that if you look at the numbers and you look at the feedback online, uh, people are really buying into this. And, and having these younger guys, too, that they're developing. Of course, we have some of the names that uh, we're, we're, we're familiar to us uh, who've watched WWE programming, finally getting a real chance to show their true character and be able to, to get the in, in-ring work that they would so much desire and, and not just fall into some character uh, dilemma or some character void or something. They get, to be, they get to have a little bit more room to breathe. And that's uh, it really, it goes back to the leadership, too, of, with Tony Khan being such a hands-on type of owner being a fan of professional wrestling and having that passion, I mean, listening to him in interviews uh, when, when they were starting to get this off of the ground, how he would talk about, you know, tape trading and things like that. I mean, you know, you are a big ass fan of the business when you're talking tape trading, especially in that era uh, before we had everything with one click. I mean, the tape trading, man, that stuff was uh, the, the catalogs you would get for those things, man, and all the wrestling you can get. I mean, especially in those territory, post-territory days, man. Those are, I mean, you were a true, tried and true fan when you had some tapes, man, wherever, from whoever you got your tapes from. Well, Tony Khan is like, to call Tony Khan a fan isn't totally fair because I feel like he's like one level beyond that. Like the, the man is like a walking wrestling encyclopedia. He can tell you like matches that he went to when he was a teenager, but, or, or shows he went to when he was a teenager, but not just tell you like, oh yeah, I went to you know, raw in the city. He'll tell you like what the third match was and what the finish was. Um, so I think that, I mean, for someone like him, I think he looked at the things that he liked in wrestling and looked at the things he didn't like in wrestling, brought that together with the Bucks and Kenny and Cody and Brandy. And what you're seeing now is that kind of all melding together in what we call AEW. I'm going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation, the grizzled vet down there deep in the heart of Texas on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now with our guest, Chris Van Vliet. Uh, I know you've got a few more questions here as we move in towards the final minutes of the show. There's still plenty of time for you to get in a few of those uh, questions, Mr. McCurdy. 
But we're talking about AEW and all that. And, um, you know, I'd like to get Chris's opinion on this because, you know, we're talking about Jericho and the guys that have come in. But one thing I've enjoyed about AEW is the building of some of the new guys. Like, I will admit now, I am an Orange Cassidy fan. I love Orange Cassidy. I am a Jungle Boy fan. And I'm, I'm a Marco Stunt guy. Because these are the smaller guys, but they're getting the spotlight in AEW. And I really enjoy that. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, Chris, what do you think about, you know, the guys like that, you know, Orange Cassidy, Private Party, those guys. They're getting a chance to shine, and these are guys that are going to be the next level of uh, the stars. Well, you look at the AEW roster top to bottom, and everybody on there is supremely talented. And it's, you're right, it's really cool to see guys like Orange Cassidy, like MJF, like Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, Luchasaurus, uh, like P- Private Party, and you know, the list goes on and on and on. It's great to see those guys getting a chance. And it's great to see them like, getting an opportunity where they might have just been looked at elsewhere as, eh, you know, you're just a cruiserweight, or oh, we'll just put you on, like, you know, you'll just be like enhancement talent. But I think that there's no question that some of those guys are going to have some sort of title in the next year or two or three, if not the world title. And I was really excited to see MJF getting that uh, you know, title opportunity against Moxley. But I, I think that this is what's exciting about it, is building these stars up from scratch, building these stars up and making these stars into stars because everybody in the wrestling world has that potential. It's just a matter of like letting them actually shine. And AEW has done a great job of letting people shine. You know, you mentioned Luchasaurus. It's kind of funny. Uh, my wife and I, we're, we're big brother fans. We've always watched. I, I watched it from the beginning. She joined in with it. And she saw Luchasaurus on TV one time. And I'm like, hey, I said, that's uh, Austin from Big Brother. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's him under the mask. She knew him from Big Brother. She'd never seen him wrestle in the ring before. So she was kind of interested on him from what she knew of him from. Because on a reality show, obviously, he talked about being a professional wrestler. And we know he was uh, Judas Devil whatever in the NXT but her first exposure to wrestling was the Luchasaurus. So that was kind of fun for her to see that on it from a different angle. He told me when I interviewed him that this was, this was about a year ago that we did the interview. He said that he was getting recognized more from Big Brother than he was being Luchasaurus. Which I get, you know, he wears a mask as Luchasaurus. But I would hazard a guess that that has definitely flipped now. I think Luchasaurus is great, but um, like I said, I'm a fan of AEW all around. It's an alternative. I think I watch it more than I'll watch NXT. You know, I usually watch AEW first, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll travel over to it. But, um, you know, as a podcaster, though, let me, let me throw this out at you. Um, what do you think about the whole thing? Because obviously, you know, Jim Cornette, the Cornette experience, the drive through he does weekly reviews of AEW and NXT. He's not as favorable. Um do you see that maybe he's using his format as kind of, I mean, Jim Cornette's Jim Cornette, but do you think maybe he's being a little abrasive and not really open to AEW? Well, that's his gimmick. You know, that's his gimmick. Yeah. If he went and talked about all the, all the great things that were happening in the wrestling product, nobody would listen. You know, that's, that's not who he is. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know Jim personally. I've certainly listened to several of his episodes, but, I, I, I don't know if he actually believes the stuff he's saying or if he just feels like he needs to say it because that's what Jim Cornette, you know, the podcaster, Jim Cornette, the character would say. And, and, you know, I like to take the exact opposite approach to that. I, I don't review the shows, but 
I just think there's so much negativity in wrestling. There's so much negativity in the world in general. And I think that while what's wrong is always available, I think what's right is also always available too. So I try to have my interviews and my podcast be like this beacon of positivity in, you know, a giant pile of a lot of negativity sometimes. Well, once again, man, I've become a big fan of your podcast. I look forward to it every week, but, um, are there guests that you haven't had a chance to interview yet that you want to, who, who's that, who's that, uh, you know, that one star you want to reach out to, you want to get for that interview? Oh man, there's a bunch, but at the top of the list is Vince McMahon. And I think that that'd be just a fascinating conversation, not just Vince McMahon, the wrestling promoter, um, but Vince McMahon, like the human and think about it. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now if it wasn't for Vince McMahon and what he built. So I'd love to talk to him about just who he is. Like, what, what makes Vince McMahon tick? What's his morning routine look like? Uh, so I think that that'd be just a fascinating conversation. So I don't think this will happen, but, uh, but I'll keep throwing it out into the world in the hopes that, you know, maybe one day it does. So before we wrap up today's episode, I pass the mic back over to Glenn. Where can the fans find the Chris Van Bleet show? Where can they find you? Where on social media? It's just my name, at Chris Van Vliet, which is V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. And uh, like you mentioned, and thank you for mentioning it, my podcast is the Chris Van Vliet Show, wherever you listen to podcasts. So Spotify, Pandora, Apple, whatever, and all that. Everywhere, yeah. If you listen to a podcast there, you can find my show. <laughs> all right, Glenn, I'm going to pass the mic back over to you. All right, we're going to take it through the home stretch here on Wrestling Memories then and now with a very, you know, we wanted to have some, some lighthearted stuff because, hey, yeah, you mentioned, Chris, so much negativity in the world. This is a, more of a lighthearted thing, and I, I, I want to know the deal here. You know, if it happens, will you, uh, if offered the opportunity, would you take part in Talk and Shop a Mania 2 with the Good Brothers? Ooh, well, I love Talking Shop of Mania 1. Oh, my God. I what they did was, I thought it was brilliant and ridiculous and just incredible. So, yeah, I mean, if this was a possibility, yes, absolutely. Sign me up. Um, yeah, that would be an honor. So, yeah, so put this out there. Yeah, let, let Gallows and Anderson know that I'm interested. You know, speaking of guys that made uh, uh, the best out of a, you know, a, a negative situation, you know, it was just a few months back that we, we were made aware, and boy, were we ever, and this kind of changed some of the landscape in wrestling, too, to a degree, was when the WWE furloughed and let go all these talented people on their roster. I mean, there, there was just recently they let go a few other people uh, behind the scenes and stuff, also including Gerald Briscoe, but uh, amongst those guys, I mean, you had, uh, you know, the, the Good Brothers, I mean, who had just signed a contract with the Federation, which was more or less a, a thing of, hey, just say, we're going to give you a push sign with us. We'll give you big money just so you don't go to this company. Don't go to AEW. And uh, it turned around, you know, you thought that they'd get somewhat of a push. They, they were just woefully misused. They had a legendary legacy in Japan. And they were, you know, you anyone who listened to Talk and Shop, uh, the old uh, podcast and stuff, uh, before they went to the Fed, would realize that these guys have senses of humor. They have characters they can develop. I mean, come on, Gallows is, is hilarious. He's a hoot. And, and, and Machine Gun is pretty funny as well. And Romero is just as good, too. But... I mean, geez, to think about how they had, you know, basically thought that, you know, like signing this contract would have gave them a chance to be a little bit more creative. And no, the next thing you know, less than a year, they're, uh, you know, out of the company. 
But the thing was, it almost gave them back their freedom. It did give them back their freedom to kind of expand upon their personalities. And just how fast that turnaround was to being in that cinematic main event graveyard uh, battle uh, with Undertaker and AJ Styles to be able to, by the end of the summer, have uh, be free from the company and parody it uh, on their own uh, financed, uh, you know, pay-per-view. It, it's just amazing how the wrestling world can, it's like only in the wrestling business can you go for that type of turnaround but talk about like I said it's like making hay out of a real bad situation and these guys just knocked it out of the park yeah they told me on uh, my podcast that they thought like there's no way we're gonna get released like no way because some of their friends were getting the phone call uh, you know that they were getting released They're like there's no way that we're getting released and you know lo and behold you know they got released which is crazy because they signed like a five-year deal but I think, and I don't know this as a fact, but I think they're actually making more money now than they would have made at WWE and working, you know, a whole lot less because they've got the impact deal. They're free to do their podcast. They're free to do things like talking Chavamania, appearances, merch, all this other stuff. So it, it's so interesting that, you know, everything happens for a reason here and them not staying with WWE could be the best thing to never happen to them. Like for them, like if they continue to ride out their WWE um, contract, you know, they wouldn't be able to do any of the stuff that they're doing now. So it really worked out for them. And I've, I've got nothing but great, great things to say about those guys. Uh, a huge amount of respect for them. And you know, the thing too, and when things get going again internationally, they always have Japan as an option too, because of just how big they were over there and just what, their popularity here can even parlay it even more over over in Japan. So it's like these guys, I mean, again, it's just another case of uh, WWE just having, I guess, way too much talent to focus on some of these guys that should have been at the forefront and pushed up front and not just given just a little bit of a push and then just kind of have them hang in limbo because I think that, yeah, they, the time they were in there towards the end was squandered because of all of that pettiness, but it's good to have them out there. Their, their podcast is hilarious. There's been teasers about I, I mean I, that's why I brought the announcement about Talk and Shop a Mania too, and man for anyone who hasn't seen Talk and Shop uh, a Mania they have to check it out. I think if you have to check it out for one thing. Paul Lee's entrance was probably one of those things on the top of the list. Aside from the boner yard match, of course. <laughs> the whole thing, top to bottom, like it just <laughs> it just shows how creative those guys are when given an opportunity to really showcase it. How many goddamn times have you ever seen a shallow Hal scene reference in a pro wrestling match out in some farmland in Georgia? Well, here's the thing. I think they only scratched the surface on that first Talking Shop Mania. So uh, whatever they have in store for Talking Shop Mania 2, sign me up. I know it's going to be great. Oh, my God. I mean, Penzer. Teddy Long, freight train, for God's sake. I mean, the social distancing battle royal. I mean, good Lord, this was just, I mean, again, like you said, they scratched the surface on it. But I found the social distancing battle royal to be a hoot because in between all of this humor and stuff, you got like Brian Pillman Jr. doing spots. You got Brock Kozlov back. I haven't seen him in ages. <laughs> and then you throw back to the shtickla, and it just, oh my God, it was like, I was laughing throughout that pay-per-view because they out front. I mean, if anybody were to get butt hurt about it, 
I mean, they put how many damn disclaimers out there that they're just doing this for fun. So I guess this is one of those, and I didn't see too much heavy criticism on it because, you know, that's what they put out there. We're not here to make a, a, a masterpiece. This is us just having fun with our, we know the fans will find this. Hopefully the fans will find it interesting. And we're just going to have fun. After this weird year, we want to just have some damn fun. And I think they did that. And it's I'm good on them, too, for getting that Impact deal. Because, you know, Impact, though it's not the big company, Impact has put on some pretty solid, consistent stuff as far as their television and their pay-per-views in the last year, year and a half, since getting under uh, with uh, working with Scott Demore and Don Callis and some of the other people. I think that has been, uh, um, that company, I think, is it's most focused Probably since that whole like Hogan Bischoff debacle when they tried to go Monday nights. Oh, without question, I think that what what we're seeing in Impact Wrestling right now is the best that Impact Wrestling I think has been. I mean, I was a really big fan in the, in two thousand six, seven, eight, like that that era, like when the X Division was a really big thing. But I think if you look at just the in ring matches and what 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 Impact's doing right now. Uh, it, it, it competes or is better than any other product out there right now. And I think that if you maybe took a hiatus from Impact, maybe you, you haven't watched it in a while, tune in. Tune in on Tuesday, and I think you'll be very pleasantly surprised. That's what I've been telling some of my friends who tuned out long ago. It's like, come back. It's it's pretty good. There's some good stuff. And I, I, I even got one of my old buddies back uh, to watching it because I said, hey, they're utilizing Johnny Swinger more than any other company probably ever had in, the, in his career. Yeah, yeah. Look, and I think that Johnny Swinger is making a whole bunch of people look great, and in turn, it's making him look really good. It's, it's amazing. I think the greatest thing I think ever saw for Johnny Swinger is when he battled Mike Jackson, the Alabama junior heavyweight champion, who I remember doing the job, watching doing the jobs on Watts' TV and on TBS back in the 80s. This guy must be like upper 60s, low 70s, man. And he goes in there, and Johnny Swinger goes in, has a great, does a fun little skit with him, has a match with him, makes him look good. And, and of course, this whole swingman gimmick where he plays the lost in the 80s wrestler, um, this is just tremendous. Yeah, no, he's so good. But look, look, everybody in Impact Wrestling who is being given a chance right now, that, that's the entire roster. Uh, the men and the women, they're doing great, great stuff. And look, I, I think if you saw Slammiversary or at, at worst read about Slammiversary, uh, you saw a lot of amazing stuff coming out of that. And they're riding that wave right now. And rightfully so. They're doing some really great stuff. Hey, and I like, and I've been a fan of Eric Young, and I, you know, they went through the years with the, with the comedy stuff. I liked him when Team Canada, but man, when he he is like a solid psycho heel, man, he does such a good job with that. Just as good as he was doing the comedy stuff, he is just so dedicated. And that he kind of what another one of those guys that just fell, got lost in the shuffle with WWE, uh, where he just was underutilized. It's just great that he was able to come back in through to to impact and also guys like EC3 who's kind of playing it in impact and ring of honor. So just kind of good on impact uh, for, for being around here in 2020 and kind of trying to get past that whole Dixie Carter era. Well, no, no one's more deserving of that impact wrestling world heavyweight champion championship than Eric Young. The guy is so insanely talented. He's been in the business 20 plus years. And I I think that he still has another probably 10 years left in the tank. Uh, So I, I was so happy to see him return at anniversary, and then so happy to see him beat Eddie Edwards in a great match. And now he's the champion, and no one's more deserving. 
Oh, most definitely. Hey, our time is running out. I want to thank you so much, man. It was really cool chatting with you. We'd love to have you on again. We could just do a wheel of topics and we can just talk about anything in the pro wrestling business, past, pre- past present, and future. I think we could uh, make some more hay of this because I think we've only scratched the surface, my friend. Chris Van Vliet, thank you well, so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Glenn. Mike, I really appreciate it. This was a blast. So, Thank you for taking the time. Yes, yes. You've made your Northwestern uh, Minnesota public radio debut. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> my. Just put that in the list of your accolades. <laughs> Done. Add it to the Wikipedia. There you go. Yeah, we're going to go do... Hey, 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 Grizz, yeah, add that tonight, my friend. I will do that. <laughs> All right. For Mike McCurdy and Chris Van Vliet, I'm Glenn Brockett. This has been Wrestling Memories Then and Now.